0: Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my Old Kentucky Podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today?
1: Uh, You know, it's been a rough week, Robert. A lot of really bad, terrible things in the legislature, and then I was like, you know, at least we have basketball, and... Now that's over for me as a UK fan as well. So it's not the best
0: week, but how are you? Yeah, you know, about the same. I guess I can say I'm glad it's, I'm glad that like the most damage that can be done by the legislature is now pretty much over. They can, of course, pass things in the last couple of days that they have left in the session, but anything that's new that passes can be vetoed by the governor. And and I have good faith that the governor will veto most bad legislation. Mm -hmm. You know, at least we got to go to the tournament. Jasmine as fans of the Kentucky team uh, you know basketball fans who favor the University of Louisville of course their women's team is still playing um, and, yeah and,
1: I do root for the Louisville women's team yes. so. uh,
0: yeah and 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 so does our guest look at that transition Allison Wiseman who is the president <laughs> of the Kentucky Young Democrats uh, she talked to us about the organization about KYD about how to start a chapter how to get involved in a chapter that exists kind of how uh, organize, organizing young folks in in kentucky for the democratic party has been going over the past you know year or so or you know she's been she's only really been in office for a couple of months but you know she's been involved in the organization of course for longer than that um so it was a really good conversation kyd is a very important part of the democratic ecosystem here in kentucky they do a lot of work on the ground and also are are producing candidates you know there's a lot of people running for office who are young democrats and and people who are involved in in lots of different ways uh from, uh, from, from the top to the bottom, working on campaigns, staffing campaigns, all that kind of stuff. So it was really good to check in with her. Um, you know, uh, she's great even when she is trolling me on, on, uh, Twitter specifically, but she, she did tell me I was her favorite Kentucky fan. So that's, that's good to know. Did you, did you enjoy our conversation with Allison Jasmine?
1: Yeah, I did. I think I learned for the first time what the, the age cutoff was for young democrats so it was good to know i was i'm still a young democrat i didn't know that i was yeah i get confused um, so about, that's nice
0: i get confused about that all the time because the cutoff for kentucky young democrats is 40 so i technically qualify even though i thought i didn't as well because in order to be a youth candidate for the democratic party you have to be 35 or younger so it's different age cutoffs but you know what are you oh, do you
1: know i'm i'm young either way then
0: all right well there you go i
1: i i think that If you're looking for a little bit of encouragement after a really bad political week for Democrats, this interview was encouraging.
0: I agree, I, especially when she talked about the establishment of chapters in places across the state and also the strength of some of the urban chapters that we have. Yeah, definitely listen to that. Um, know that, you know, there, there is power in the Democratic Party coming um, and it's being organized by some really good people. But we are going to talk about a lot of bad news first. Uh, we are going to be talking mostly about the end of the legislative session. So Jasmine is going to w- walk us through all of the anti-trans bills, which have sucked up a lot of the oxygen of this uh, legislative session for good reason. Uh, we have maybe the worst anti-trans legislation that has been passed in the whole country and we're going to talk about specifically what it was i'm going to be going through all of the rest of the bills i've got like seven eight nine i don't know there's a bunch in here stuff that we had talked about in previous weeks we wanted to update figure out where it was and some new stuff uh that was passed that might have been flying under the radar so you know since we have so much bad news to get to jasmine let's dive right in tell us about maybe all the worst right, yeah, anti-trans I'll... legislation all right go ahead
1: i us off um so when we last left off we had two anti-trans bills two major ones at least that were making their way through the legislature uh senate bill 150 and house bill 470 and the reason i differentiate them is because of a lot of stuff happened and they're they're different now so house bill 70 which had been the bill that banned gender-affirming care for kids. Um, That was amended to include a lot of the don't say gay language, um, which was heavily criticized in Florida last year. And so that would forbid schools from discussing sexual orientation or gender identity or anything like that at all. This was a new addition to the bill that we talked about last week, um, but it even made some Republicans uncomfortable But that amended bill still passed out of committee by a 6-3 vote, even though multiple Republican senators had concerns about the bill. Danny Carroll um, is the main one, and he promised to make changes before the bill made it to the floor. So that's kind of where we left off with House Bill 470 last week. And then what happened is that the Senate adopted an amendment that allowed for some gender-affirming medical services, puberty blockers, which are something that is reversible, um, to still take place. Um, And it it changed some other language in the bill as well. But then the bill got laid on the clerk's desk, which is the second time we've talked about that. The session um, basically means that they're tabling the issue. Senate Bill 150 had been received in the house Um, and Senate bill 150 was the one sponsored by max Waz, and it was a slightly less bad version of a don't say gay bill that gave teachers discretion to misgender students by um, using pronouns aligned with biological sex, even if the student doesn't identify that way. And it also did other things like preventing the state from issuing guidance around pronoun usage and some, Uh, parents' rights, stuff like that. So those were the two bills originally. Then last Thursday, a surprise House Education Committee was called during the House lunch break, and there was a committee substitute for Senate Bill 150, which was in the House at that point. So the committee sub was not publicly available, but it, it included the harsher version of House Bill 470 plus language from other trans bills that had not gotten any traction in the legislature, like bathroom policies.
0: Yeah. And, and, and just to be clear about this, like this happened in the span of like just a few hours, right? It was like, there was an announcement that the house education was going to meet Uh, I think there were
1: six minutes between, like, the announcement of the meeting and the meeting starting. And, And
0: that meeting involved this committee substitute, which was completely opaque. No one had seen it before this meeting, which was announced, like, six minutes prior. So it was just, like, sprung out of nowhere, right?
1: And I'm not sure how that can happen, and you know the rules better than me, Robert. So, do you know how that can happen?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the legislature essentially has the authority to make their own rules, right? And so they can be like, "You have to call a meeting," and there's no like time. You know, there's yeah, there's. Hey, this is this is the polite thing to do. This is the transparent thing to do. But the only thing driving government to be good is the government itself. And, you know, we hold up the idea of rules and, you know, that rules are so important to democracy. And I I mean, I, I think that that's true. But like, you know, at the end of the day, the people who make the rules are the people who want to pass these bills, and they want to pass these bills with little to no transparency. And there's nothing really stopping them from doing that, because they make their own rules. The only really stopgap we have is any constitutional uh, measures, which could, uh, you know, go to the Supreme Court, uh, which, you know, maybe it will, maybe it won't, there will definitely be challenges to a lot of the legislation that passed this session. Uh, and that could form some of the challenges. But besides any constitutional requirements, which there aren't many in terms of the actual operation of the legislature itself basically they can just like break their own rules at will and there's nobody to punish them
1: yeah and and on on that same note lindsey burke who is a representative who is also an attorney when she spoke out against the bill she also shared her concerns about the procedure violating the open meetings act and a, a complaint can be filed but i i believe it would go to the legislature um and of course th- there is an appeals process with that um but so there is open meetings um but i don't know if if that would change anything about what happened here
0: yeah i i don't i you know i don't know if a, a violation of the open meetings could render the legislation itself, like in like the Supreme Court could overrule the legislation because of a violation of the Open Meetings Act. I I don't know if if that could happen or not, but that the violation of the Open Meeting Act did not lead to the bill not passing.
1: Right. So. The meeting was quickly called and the bill passed out of committee and then was heard on the floor about 30 minutes after the committee meeting and many Democrats spoke out against the bill. I, you know, it, if this is something you want to see, Josie Raymond gave some real a really powerful speech about it. Um, so did Daniel Grossberg and Pamela Stevenson. And and I've seen those kind of floating around Twitter. There's a lot of video of it. Um, and so you know, we we really do have. Um, some great passionate representatives, but unfortunately they're pretty powerless.
0: Yeah. We don't have enough of Um, the problem. Yeah.
1: So the bill passed uh, 75 to 22, and then it went back to the Senate the same day where it passed 30 to seven and now goes to the governor. So the only Republicans to vote against the bill were representatives, Kim Banta, Stephanie Dietz, Hillian Timothy And then in the Senate, Senator Danny Carroll, um, Kim Mosier, who had been against some of these bills in committee, um, she didn't vote in this one. And then the only Democrats to vote in favor of the bill were the two Democrats in the legislature from Eastern Kentucky, Robin Webb and Ashley Tackett Lafferty. So... That's House Bill 470, or that's Senate Bill 150, and what we ended up getting was something that was much harsher than what we even contemplated, I think. It it had kind of seemed m- mid-last week that because of disagreement between maybe some more moderate Republicans and the more conservative wing of their caucus, that... That maybe some of these bills weren't going to get through at all. Yeah. Um, it, it's with with House Bill 470 being laid on the clerk's desk, um, and then Senate Bill 150 hadn't really seen movement in the house. It seemed like maybe we were going to save this legislation off, um, and then it, it ramped up very quickly. And what we got was harsher than what. We even thought we would because it included language like bathroom policies that um, were in bills that were filed but hadn't seen any movement. So the bill that we ended up with, Senate Bill 150, it contains a ban on gender affirming medical care for trans youth. um, And a requirement that doctors set a timeline to detransition children who are already taking puberty blockers or undergoing hormone therapy and they would be allowed to continue offering care as they taper a child's treatments if immediately taking them off the treatment could harm the child. Schools would not be allowed to discuss sexual orientation or gender identity with students of any age. Schools would be allowed to talk about things like STDs and Schools would not be allowed to talk about STDs or human sexuality before sixth grade and then would require parental consent in sixth grade and up. School districts would be required to have bathroom policies that at a minimum will not allow trans kids to use the bathroom tied to their gender identity and minors cannot legally change their names or alter birth certificates um, for gender identity purposes. And so, That's what we have, and that's what goes to the governor. As of this afternoon, um, Tuesday, Governor Bashir has not done any vetoes yet. Um, I imagine he will veto this bill, but of course it can be overridden with a simple majority.
0: Yeah, and and that's likely what's going to happen. And I mean, it's worth going back over just how... (laughs) You just laid it out. So just to summarize, we had several different anti-trans bills that were making their way through the legislature. It kind of got consolidated down to SB 150, which was Max Wise's bill, and HB 470. And HB 470 kind of felt like it was going to be moderated quite a bit with Danny Carroll's amendment. And then there was clearly some consternation, some confusion in the Republican caucus. HB 470 got kind of disappeared. And this This committee sub appeared out of nowhere, It was voted on in the House Education Committee after six minutes of uh, an announcement of a meeting, passed in the House and then passed in the Senate the same day, basically before anybody got a chance to even see the bill. And I don't even know how many of the Republicans knew what was in this bill when they voted on it. They just knew that this is where we landed with the trans bill. Uh, and, and and you know, it was it it felt like something really bad was happening most of the session. It kind of was like, wow, this this is getting worse and worse. All of a sudden, it felt like it got a little bit better and then if, and then everything bad that possibly could have happened on this issue happened before it was all over. So uh, it it literally couldn't be any worse than it is right now for for a lot of this, for this specific issue, this this um, anti trans legislation that's here in the state of Kentucky, it will almost certainly be vetoed by the governor, it will almost certainly be overridden. And there will almost certainly be lawsuits about every single element of this bill. Um, because it includes basically six or seven different bills in itself, it's kind of just turned into this omnibus anti-trans bill Mm -hmm. um and and there are some stuff in here that is just seems like it is just very squarely an anti like a first amendment case like there's a lot of just like how can a teacher talk about their partner if they you know if we're gonna have this don't say gay stuff you know the the you know i don't know there's just a lot of problems with a lot of this legislation and and i am kind of curious to see where the supreme court lands on a lot of it so yeah, uh, at the end of the day, th- this is awful. This is as bad as it could be. It's terrible. It's abominable. Like, it is just... I don't even know what to say. Like, it is just as bad as it possibly could be. I mean, anything else you want to say about SB-150, Jazz? I, th-
1: I, think, I think we've both said it <laughs> in the last few weeks, and you're right. It, it's just as bad as it could be, and this will certainly harm children it will drive people to leaving kentucky trans people and their families but also people who who don't want to be here anymore because our government has harmed people they love um and so i think this this bill is just harmful for our state in so many ways
0: yeah what one wild piece of this that we didn't even bring up is that jerry miller who we've talked about on the show for years as like um, one of the most important Republicans in the state, was a member of the House, led the redistricting committees, did stuff that made us angry for years and years, ended up testifying against this bill and and mentioned that he had a trans grandchild uh, and and talked about how his grandchild is likely going to have to move out of the state Um, And, and, you know, this this bill very well could like have a significant impact on Jerry Miller and his family. Like, are they going to drive out one of the people who like engineered the Republican caucus in Kentucky? Is this is this man going to have to move out of state to to be, you know, with his child who and his grandchild um, who are going to be forced to move out of state in order to to receive, you know, the the needed health care that that child needs? Um, Just another wild wrinkle. In this entire situation we
1: did talk about that last, last week. week we've yeah, we we've did. talked about this so much that uh, <laughs> you've forgotten yeah whatever. I did
0: I did I I guess it was kind of surprising I didn't know at that time that they were talking I mean uh, Joe girth wrote about it in in the newspaper which is where I kind of learned the extent of like maybe he's gonna be having to move away um, which is I think just just wild um Jasmine That was not the only bad news uh, from from the (laughs) week. No, it really wasn't. In fact, uh, there was a lot more stuff that happened. Okay, so I'm going to be going through just several bills uh, and and stuff that we have been discussing discussing as the legislature has been meeting um, and some stuff that's new mixed in here as well. So we'll start with HB 5 and 447, which make up the bourbon barrel tax issue. Um, This bill, HB 5, what it does is phases out the ability of local governments to levy taxes on aging bourbon barrels. Uh, The bill has been a major priority of the bourbon industry and the Chamber of Commerce. Local governments, especially in central Kentucky, strongly oppose these bills as their local governments depend on that bourbon barrel revenue in order to make ends meet for things like sheriff's departments or schools or health departments, etc., so that's what HB5 does. HB447 sets a revenue floor for schools. That was like a major issue, major stumbling block to to passing HB5 was like, well, we're going to not be able to make ends meet in the schools. So HB447 sets a revenue floor for schools and says we will fill the gap to a certain level if you cannot fund your schools. So both of these bills passed. Of course, HB447 was passed almost unanimously. HB5 was which much was much closer, but both of them passed. Um I'm sorry, neither of these bills uh, advanced after being passed in the House, uh, which is what we said last week, but it does have two readings in the Senate. This is important. So I actually misspoke there just a second ago. So these these bills now have to be passed in the Senate during the veto period. So that means that it is up to the first of all, the Senate has to pass it, which I think is likely to happen. But this is up to Governor Bashir. Um, this falls squarely on Governor Bashir as to whether he wants to sign it or not. Um, so, this actually sets up, I think, one of the most challenging issues for the governor uh, after the session is over. So, the there are a lot of local governments that are very upset about this, but the bourbon industry and the Chamber of Commerce, who's powerful throughout the entire state, is strongly supportive of these measures. Very clearly, in my opinion, the right thing to do would be to veto this bill. But, There is a lot of political calculus that the governor is going to have to do in order to think through exactly what he's going to do. And I do not know what he's going to do. Jasmine, do you have any guesses?
1: I feel like I have seen people saying they believe that the governor has signaled support for this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think that that's I I think that if I had to put money on something, that's what I would put money on. But I, I really don't know. I really don't know, um, but yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if if that is what happened. In fact, I think that that's probably slightly more likely. Okay, um, maybe not. Uh, some bad news. Maybe some maybe some good news. Some 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 some, mo- some moderately good news on an issue, and that's SB forty-seven, which is medical marijuana. This year's version of the medical marijuana bill seems set to pass. The Senate, which has been the stumbling block for this. Issue for legalization of medical marijuana uh, for years saw a shockingly wide margin for passage. It passed 26 to 11 in the Senate. In my opinion, I think this bill could have passed years ago if Robert Stivers, the Senate President, had allowed it to come to the floor. I don't know if it would have passed by 15 votes. There are five new senators in the House. I think that I don't know if all five of them are flips. I do know that some people have like come to this issue lately and changed their mind. Damon Thayer comes to mind. Uh, So I don't think it passes by 15 votes, but that's such a wide margin. I think likely this bill would have passed two, maybe three, maybe even four years ago if it had been allowed to come to the floor. So, you know, better late than never. But I mean, at the same time, that's bad. That's bad that we like one person kind of held this up for such a long period of time. In terms of how this bill is going through the legislature, it still does need to pass the House, but the, ha- the House is widely expected to pass this bill because it already has in several prior years. It could also conceivably be ve- vetoed by Governor Bashir, but that seems extremely unlikely to happen. Um, this version of medical marijuana seems like it will actually pass this year, and there will be some version of a medical marijuana program in Kentucky in the near future. So there you go. Some good news um, mixed in yeah. with your bad news.
1: Yeah, I think this is – it feels like passing that this year is kind of political as well since we have a gubernatorial race. And Bashir issued this executive order about medical marijuana. And and so the legislature couldn't let that be where we leave things in – election year and so i think they kentuckians overwhelmingly support medical marijuana and they want to be able to say we got it done yeah um so it's very clear by the margin that it had the votes to pass before um but i I think that's why we are where we are this year
0: (laughs) agreed agreed all right moving on to hb3 which is juvenile justice Um, Last week, we talked a bit about the Senate changes to the juvenile justice bill that includes mandatory holds and opening records on the criminal records of minors, as well as as well as, you know, providing additional funding for things like the the new uh detention facility in louisville new money for staffing uh that that kind of thing it did we at the end of last week we said that there there needed to be a concurrence in the house and there was and it actually even picked up the vote of beverly chester burton who is a democrat from shively um that bill actually now heads to the governor's desk this is another bill where i don't know what the governor is is going to do it's juvenile justice has been a major issue for um this session and and really has been in the news quite a bit lately and and governor bashir has been pounding the drum begging for more funding but it and that's what this bill provides but with so many strings attached to it that are things that i think he he doesn't support and he doesn't like i i think it's likely he's going to sign this bill i think that that's likely what's going to happen um but i do think that there is a chance he vetoes it uh because it likely will be overridden it, it, it's a bill that includes too many strings um but you know the funding is so necessary because the problems we're facing in the juvenile justice system are so bad and if this is the only way we can get any sort of solution i mean it's just so hard to know know what to do i mean i would have voted against it for sure but it is just like it, it is just like a function of the government that we have that in, in order to solve this really significant problem of the lack of funding for juvenile justice, it's going to come with basically violating the civil rights of, 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 young people. So that's uh that's where we're at with, with this. So Jasmine, what, any, any thoughts on HB three uh, before we move on?
1: Yeah, I've been wrong a lot about what I think will happen to bills, but I, so I don't know. I may be wrong here, but I think he'll sign this because mm-hmm because of the funding and i i don't think andy bashir is quite as concerned as a lot of democrats about removing confidentiality and required detention he was the attorney general and yeah. is pretty has been pretty pro law enforcement and he's made comments about the juvenile being violent and so i i don't think he'll have as big of a problem with this bill as Many progressive people.
0: Yeah, that that's very true. I, you know, he was he did get the endorsement of the FOP the last time around in 2019, and that doesn't come without being pretty pro cop, and pretty pro, uh, you know, harsh, harsh justice. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's the most likely thing to happen. Um, yeah. All right. Well, moving on. HB 551. That is sports gambling. So we we talked about how this bill had passed out of the House easily last week that has since passed through a Senate committee. It could be voted on and during the veto session well, and during the last few days, of the legislature it has enough readings to do so. The Courier Journal did report that Republicans don't think it has enough votes, which is what we have heard about medical marijuana for years. So they may not bring it to the floor. Now, the thing about this bill is it does require a supermajority because we are in an odd numbered year. And this is a revenue bill, you know, it's a, it taxes, Sports gambling, so it it, it requires a supermajority. So it may be that they don't have the votes this year, but they will next year during a, a you know during an even numbered year where you don't need a supermajority to pass these kinds of bills. Um, they so I don't know. Maybe they'll bring it to the floor. Maybe they won't. I don't know if it does pass. I think the governor's likely to sign it, but I don't know if they're even going to bring it to the floor. It would be great if we got sports gambling and medical marijuana. It would be two bright spots in an otherwise extremely, extremely bad session. Uh, it seems likely we're going to get one. Uh, it would be great to get to get both. Uh, Jasmine, do you think they're going to bring it to the floor?
1: I don't know. With this one, it, it does kind of feel. I do kind of believe there are holdouts. But like medical marijuana, I think this would be a pretty popular win if they're able to get it done. But I do think that there are conservative members of the Senate who don't want to vote for any kind of gambling bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, with marijuana, it, it seems pretty clear that the Senate president didn't want to bring to the floor and and i don't know if it's the exact same situation here it it's gone further than it's ever gone before um which is really good news so it does seem like maybe they're just taking this extra time to try to get the votes hopefully hopefully that's that's what i'm yeah it didn't didn't have enough i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt it, it, it didn't
0: have enough readings in the senate to be voted on before the veto period um so it would have had to have been voted on after the veto period, no matter what, but that does give them more time to get to actually get the uh, yeah, to get the the votes. Okay, a couple of bad ones that we haven't even really talked about yet. So this one is SB 65. Um, So before the session started, Governor Bashir used his executive authority to allow for Medicaid to pay for dental and vision services, which expanded those services, which I mean, yeah, you got everybody's got teeth. Everybody's got eyes. We need them to be taken care of even if you're on Medicaid. Um, and, and, you know, that's that was really great that 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 service was expanded. The legislators, though, decided to nullify that that executive order. Um, I, I've yet to see a compelling reason for why, besides just the fact that they're extremely petty and don't want the governor to do this, I, I would assume that their uh, opinion would be something about like fiscal responsibility or like, this is too expensive or something like that. But it, I don't know. It's just really bad. Like this is services that people need, you know, people, people who are on Medicaid by and large work for a living. They just don't get insurance at their jobs. Um, you know, I don't know why people, why the, why they would take that away. But that does seem to be what they want to do. And they did pass this bill. So that bill is now in front of the governor, it's likely to be vetoed and then overridden pretty quickly. The other one we haven't talked about yet is SB seven, which has gotten the name of the JCTA bill. So bills like this one have been proposed for several years in the past, but they've always kind of flown under the radar, or different, you know, groups of interest groups uh, have been able to kind of kill them but not this year. So the JC, the Jefferson County Teachers Association, the, the teachers union here in, in Louisville, they collect their dues through paycheck deduction. So if you join the union, they have a right to deduct your dues out of your paycheck. Um, and it's been that way for for a very, very long time. Um, you know, decades. Um, that's where a huge amount of their funding comes from. That's where they are able to, to do the operations they are from the money that they collect from, from paycheck deduction dues. Um, JCTA isn't the only union that collects money this way. The FOP, which is the police union, the IAFF, which is the firefighters union, and a lot of other unions, uh, I think, also do it this way, but definitely those two. Um, previous versions of this bill have been killed by the, the FOP lobby, um, who, of course, have a, the, the Republicans ear quite a bit more. Um, But this year, they rewrote the bill in a way that actually exempted the FOP and the IAFF from this, and basically only targets JCTA, which is the only uh, teachers union that collects uh, money in this way. Um, This bill passed both chambers, it's likely to be vetoed and overridden. This bill is really bad news for the JCTA, um, which is now going to have to find you know different ways to to collect their dues, and there's zero percent chance that they're going to be able to be as efficient and as effective at collecting union dues as they were before. And that is a very important vehicle through which a lot of you know, you know, good work on progressive issues gets done. So, um, anything about SB seven or SB sixty five stuff we haven't talked about, but are both really bad.
1: With SB seven, I. I'm not a labor lawyer and and haven't done any research on this or anything. But I do wonder if there's because certain unions have been exempted, if, if there's maybe like a special legislation issue because the bill regulates labor under like under the state constitution. Um, so I'd, I'd be interested to see if there's any kind of of lawsuit that comes out of passing this bill. Yeah.
0: That'll be interesting to see. Uh, the, the way that they got around it was they said um, only hazardous unions can collect money in this way. Hazardous public unions, which is, um, I don't know, that's that's the way the bill is written. So maybe that makes a difference. Maybe it doesn't. It d- does still very much target one group specifically by the way they wrote it. And that, I think, makes a difference. So definitely a case to be made. Uh, we'll see what the courts say, most likely. Okay, um, another piece of good news, HB 542, which is guns on campus. We talked about this, which was a big priority of Savannah Maddox, the the most kind of right wing member of the Kentucky House. Um, looked like that this bill was going to be slated to passage in the House. It was on the orders of the day when we last checked in on it last w- last Tuesday. Um, but it uh, isn't going to get a vote. Savannah Maddox, who is the chief sponsor of the legislation, tweeted out late Tuesday that the bill was dead because Republicans didn't want to deal with it. So small victories. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. This one will definitely be back in a future session. Um, and we'll have to fight it then, too. Okay. SB five, this is, uh, this is another bad one. This is the book banning bill Uh, sets up the bill sets up a process for parents to request books to be removed from schools that their children go to, it gives principals a very limited amount of time to comply with those requests. It's been called a book banning bill. And that's because that's what it does. Um, It basically allows for books to be banned at school. Um, last week we talked about how it had passed the Senate with some amendment. The House has then since cons- concurred with that amendment and the bill is headed to Governor Bashir, who I suspect will veto it. Um, OK, so the last one I wanted to talk about is HB 448 and 360. These are the two bills about the Rural Housing Trust Fund that we talked about last week. These bills re- reallocate some of, the, some of the money that the state had allocated for disaster recovery in eastern and western Kentucky um, and and puts that money towards a Rural Housing Trust Fund. Um, the bills also were lit up like a Christmas tree. They do a bunch of other different tax cuts and giveaways um, all throughout the 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 state i think that this is where some of the money for the louisville zoo is coming from um that there was like a tax cut for marketing uh in there Um, there's a lot of stuff that was going on in these bills both bills uh did not get concurred with uh in the house after the senate passed them with a bunch of different things so they went to what's called a free conference committee which basically allows the people who are on the conference committee who are members of the house and senate to basically change them around in whatever way that they want to They did. They came back out and they both passed. HB 360 was the one that included a bunch of tax cuts and it. It actually ended up being opposed by Democrats. So it passed, you know, whatever it was like 78 to 20 or whatever it was like a very wide margin, but Democrats did oppose it. HB 3 uh, HB 448 was passed pretty much unanimously. So the the housing trust fund, the rural housing trust fund is set up with a bunch of money. A bunch of other organizations are also getting a bunch of money and some weird taxes are also going to get cut. So that's the news on the rural housing trust fund. So that's all of the bills I wanted to talk about. Anything about any of the rest of this, Jasmine, that you have to say before we move on to some quick hits?
1: No, I think you've covered
0: them. Woof. Well, I wish I hadn't
1: (laughs) Wish they hadn't Yeah it's not fun
0: (laughs) Yeah Uh, Okay so A couple of couple of quick hits Before we get out of here First of all Louisville has a new Metro Council member, uh, Cassie Chambers-Armstrong, who had previously been on the Louisville Metro Council. She, of course, ran for the Kentucky Senate, won that seat. And Ben Reno-Weber, who I know from his work with the Greater Louisville Project, but who currently works for the Health Equity Innovation Hub, which I think is sponsored by Humana, he got the nod. He was the person who was given um, the spot on Metro Council. That was pretty surprising to me. It was a hotly contested seat, but it did seem like, um, you know, one other candidate had the inside track to get it and Ben Reno Weber kind of swooped in and and took this from him. Um, so that, uh, I should have been paying closer attention to this. I was, paying more attention to these bills that were going on but ben reno ever is now my metro council member he did say that he intends to run uh when the seat comes back up and that will likely be a very heavily contested primary for district 8 um it has been up for uh you know it's been up it's been open i think two straight times and both times it drew at least three people i think that we're going to see at least that many people and whenever it comes up again which i believe is 20 i think it's actually 2024. So we'll see. Okay. Uh, anything about Ben Reno Weber about this Metro Council seat, Jazz? <laughs> nope. All right. Next thing Kish Kumi Price is out at the Louisville Urban League after just a few months on the job uh, where she was the CEO and the president of the board. She'd taken over from Sadiqa Reynolds. uh You know, it seemed really well set up. She'd been well received by the media. It seemed like she was doing a pretty good job. And Now she's gone. So the reasons for her departure are unknown. I don't know what's going on there. I think we'll likely hear much more about this as time goes on. But that's surprising. That's a really important organization to the city of Louisville. And I certainly hope that their search for a new president happens quickly and they land on a really good candidate. So anything about Kish can be priced Jasmine.
1: Yeah, this was just really surprising it. It seemed like she was gone effective immediately as a as of yesterday when they put out a statement. Um, so um, we don't really know anything right now.
0: Yeah, no, it was it was quite surprising. Um, all right, lastly, uh, and this is some this is uh, at least half good news. Um, Heine Brothers and its union reached a contract this week, which will cover the next four years. That's great news for the Heine Brothers union here in town. Uh, Meanwhile, the Trader Joe's union here in Louisville is headed to an NLRB hearing after the company alleged that the union didn't follow the rules during the election process. This then led to the Trader Joe's union account... Uh, Their Twitter account kind of posting a bunch of pictures about the copious amount of mail that anti-union leaders at Trader Joe's sent to crew members' homes. And Jasmine, I'm sure as somebody who has experienced a union election, you are familiar with the amount of literature that finds its way to your home uh, about union elections. So, um, I didn't get
1: any at my home, but definitely received in other ways. Yeah. I what I thought was funny about all of that literature is that I didn't know that Trader Joe's employees are called captain. like captain, <laughs> mate, and crew.
0: Yeah.
1: I thought that was hilarious. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, management—they like to make it fun. You know, that's uh, a
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Have fun or else.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mandatory fun.
0: Yeah. Um, that's kind of how it feels like at, at Trader Joe's when you go there. Um, all right, well, that's the show uh, for this part. You know, not, not not a great legislative session, but all the stuff uh, that not, not, it's not going to get any worse from here. I don't I don't think the legislation isn't all the legislative session isn't totally finished, but it's unlikely that it'll get much worse uh, from here on out. But it was it was it was really bad. One of the worst ones we've ever had. Um, uh, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm sure um, that, you know, we just got to start winning elections if we want things to be any different. So that's where we're at with that. All right. Like you said, Jasmine, this interview that we're about to have is a little bit optimistic. So let's get to it. Here's our interview with Allison Weisman.
1: Allison Wiseman is the president of the Kentucky Young Democrats, and in that role works to organize young people all over the Commonwealth for the Democratic Party. We ask her to join us today to talk about that organization. Um, but in addition to her work with KYD, she has worked for the U.S. Senate cam- campaigns of Charles Booker and Amy McGrath and the gubernatorial campaign of Andy Bashir. And she was also awarded the Rising Star Award by the Louisville Democratic Party last year. So, Allison Wasman, welcome to my Old Kentucky podcast.
2: Thank you all for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, no, no trolling me like you normally do on social media <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> So those are the rules. Uh, all right. So,
2: okay.
0: <laughs> all right. Um, so first of all, just tell us a little bit about Kentucky Young Democrats. I mean, for people who don't know what it is, there's probably a lot of people that might have been to one meeting. I mean, I'm sure there's some people listening who go to all the meetings. Uh, but just what role does the organization play in the political ecosystem? What do, what do you guys do at meetings? Like how? what is Kentucky Young Democrats and why would people want to be a part of it?
2: Yeah. So Kentucky Young Democrats, it's an organization. We are not like we're part of the Kentucky Democratic Party, but also not like we're a part of them. But we are also our own entity where we basically are surrounding ourselves with fellow young voters, young people in our communities under 40. And we want to empower them to lift up their voices, to run for office, to be an advocate, speak at school board meetings, whatever it is they feel helps empower themselves. That's what we work and strive to do. We are—we've been around in Kentucky for years. Um, we are really re- revamping up in the past two or three years. COVID, unfortunately, like many places and organizations and businesses really hurt us uh, but we are really on the upswing here getting back to where we were pre-COVID and we're really really excited about it it's a lot of fun to watch happen
0: yeah, it has been pretty cool to kind of watch KYD as it's kind of uh, grown and definitely kind of reestablished itself from uh, kind of coming out of COVID and everything like that. Um, and it has been kind of neat to watch all the chapters and also kind of the, the, the main organization grow. Um, but, but you know, speaking for yourself as a leader in the organization, what is it that you do if you step into leadership for Kentucky Young Democrats? Um, what is it you know, what do you have to do? What? How do you kind of operate inside of the party? What role do you play? Uh, as, as a leader of the organization?
2: Yeah, so as president of Kentucky Young Democrats, I have a seat on the state central executive committee through the KDP. So we have a voice on that committee, which is great because it shows that young people are deserving of being at these tables and having a seat here and that our voice is being heard at a statewide level through the party. So that's great. So that's one thing as me, the president, that I get to be a part of. But as leadership on our board as a whole, you know, we meet once a month for our executive board meetings. We talk about upcoming events. We brainstorm upcoming events and fundraisers. We talk about chapters that are growing. We bring up any concerns that we might feel is going on throughout Kentucky and that what some of our members have addressed to us. And it takes about an hour, hour and a half, depending on what all that entails. But also as president, I also report to YDA, so the Young Democrats of America, And so I also attend meetings for that. So do our both of our uh, national committee members. We have two of those. And so between us three, someone is always on a YDA call as well so that we can get here what's going on nationally. And then we kind of funnel it down to us through our local chapters as well. So that's what it entails. It's not a lot, but it also can be a lot depending on what time of year it is. There's an election going on, stuff like that.
1: I think it kind of sounds like a lot to me.
2: <laughs> it's, I, I always, it's a lot right now. Yeah,
0: well, it's kind of fun. I, I, Kentucky being such a weird system, having an election right. this year, it's, you know, all of the Young Democrats chapters are like, what can we do to help you guys? So it is, and I've always found that to be like a fun experience, yeah. uh, having people yeah. canvass from all over the country, uh, especially with mm-hmm. Andy Boucher becoming such a national figure this year. So hopefully we'll get oh, folks from yeah. all over the place. Yeah.
2: Oh, yes. we I had a YDA call last week, and uh, with our southeastern region regional chapter, like leader, and she on the phone was like, "Listen, you tell us date we are YDA storming Kentucky to get Governor Bashir reelected. We cannot let." Uncle Andy, she said that not lose, and I was like, "Oh my God!" Has that nickname gone national? That's
0: amazing. No, I, I, mean, I can remember back in like 2007 when I was in Officer College Democrats of America, and we had like I don't know, 500 college students uh, that like were in the union hall. Uh, I don't remember which union it was. It was somewhere in Louisville, sleeping on the floor from like everywhere from like Texas all the way to South Carolina. And they were like, we're going to go canvas the next morning. There's like some picture with, you know, 500 kids and Steve Bashir kind of in the middle. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's, it's always a fun year uh, to do this job. So it's really cool. Yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we know that things are not like all sunshine and rainbows though. Um, The democratic party across the state has, has really faltered in places outside of Louisville and Lexington. Do you think, um, has this pattern been seen in young Democrat chapters and what is Kentucky young Democrats doing to help organize chapters in some of these more rural areas?
2: So actually we are not having that problem. (laughs) That's great Um, to hear. (laughs) Yeah. We just recently got some Appalachian chapters started in three different counties with a fourth one on the way. Um, So we aren't really having that problem in terms of young Democrats, Mm -hmm. um, which is really exciting because it really energizes me to see that as president receiving an email or a text from someone who I don't even know how they got my number, but they did somehow saying that they wanted to start a chapter in Blank County. And it's really, really exciting to see because it shows me that we are more than just Louisville, Lexington, I guess now Frankfurt and Franklin County. And so it's really exciting to see that and work with these people to understand what their county is, what their needs are, some backstories on it, and being able to help them start these chapters. So it's definitely not something that we see from a young Dems level, by all means.
1: Yeah, that's really great to hear. I think, conversely, urban areas are becoming more democratic than ever before, as some other areas of the state have gone more red. Um, so is Kentucky Young Dems also seeing growth in its urban chapters? And how is the organization managing a diverse coalition of Democrats in places like Louisville?
2: Yeah, so Louisville is our strongest chapter. It's our biggest chapter. Um, I feel like that's no secret. Um mm-hmm. And so Louisville Young Dems is doing a lot of great work. Um, We just transitioned having, when I say we, I'm also still on the board there just as an at-large member. I don't do anything as a VP or anything, but we just transitioned from having two years of leadership under Mara, Catherine Corlett, who did a phenomenal job expanding Louisville Young Dems in a time of 2021 to 23 when you had COVID, a lot of uncertainties, a lot of questions. She did a very good job navigating through that. And now LYD is at this position where we are just rapidly growing all the time. We have our events and there's always someone new there. It might be one person, it might be four people, but there's always someone new. And it's really, really exciting. Uh Fayette Young Dems is the same way. Uh, they are really doing great work down there, having after party events, having monthly meetings, really doing good work in Fayette as well, because both chapters understand not like the pressure by all means, but what Happens when you have a strong Louisville Lexington for a Democratic candidate. And both chapters are doing just a phenomenal job at expanding and growing and being open to all people from Kentucky being in their chapters, regardless of their background. And it's really cool to see. Yeah.
0: You know, I mean, that's obviously where the Democratic Party, like in the whole state, is the strongest. And it is kind of good to hear that, you know, there's kind of these alternating dynamics where you're having like the urban versus rural divide, but also the young versus older voter divide, uh, and how those things are playing out. And it's nice to see that younger voters, no matter where they are in the state, are, are finding a home in the Democratic Party.
2: Oh, yeah, they are.
0: Yeah. So so this legislative session uh, has been wild. It's been really crazy. And uh, <laughs> to you, say the least. <laughs> Yeah. So people who've been listening to the whole show will probably hear, have heard all of the crazy stuff that happened at the end of the session. Um, and, and yeah, of course, there's there's been bad bills passed on Just about every subject from healthcare, economic security, and and then, of course, like LGBTQ issues, which maybe got the most coverage throughout the session. So I, I mean, just speaking as somebody as a leader in Kentucky Young Democrats, have any of the, those issues kind of risen to the top into the things that people are the most concerned about? Um, and, and how are how are you? How is the organization like capitalizing on the, you know, the energy that's been created, maybe for a bad reason, but uh, of course, it's creating some energy. And, and that's something that the organization may be able to use
2: yeah so the two biggest issues are abortion and lgbtq plus rights. specifically the anti-trans legislation for abortion i think a lot of people were really satisfied with amendment two being voted down and then you had what four days later the attorney general saying actually i'm going to court and so you had that happen and then you had the supreme court ruling from the kentucky supreme court what was i six weeks ago a month ago that essentially said, okay, well, the trigger law is still here. And so a lot of young people are just really upset and confused because they are they don't understand what they voted for, essentially, because they think they voted to keep abortion a thing here, but, like, it's not. And so... You got to tell them to listen
0: to the podcast.
2: Right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. So, like, a lot of people are rallying behind that because they're just so freaking fed up with the government telling them what to do with their body. So there's that issue. And then the LGBTQ plus issue, specifically the anti-trans legislation is another really, really big thing that I'm hearing when people reach out to me to talk, to want to be involved. Uh, The biggest thing is unfortunately, uh, Karen Burke's son uh, passing away and that tragic death that happened around that, that has as horrible as it was has lit a fire in so many people, especially young people that I have talked to. And so seeing both of those subjects and how young people are really rallying behind them is what is driving all of them to us. And then for how we're really pushing through it upcoming at our convention, we are going to be having Mason Chemonski speaking, who was, is the trans man who has been advocating his heart out in Frankfurt the past few uh, weeks in the session, I talked with him last week and I was like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you go back there. I physically cannot go there because I just won't have fun, but I applaud you for doing it. And I told him, I want him to be a part of our convention, but also I want him and other members of the community to be on our board next year, to show a real reflection of what Kentucky looks like, because we are more than just people who are Louisville Lexington centered that's it, and cisgender and everything. Like, we are more than that. And so I want that to reflect our board next year. And so I've talked with Mason about speaking at our convention. He's connected me with members of the community to talk to about running for a spot on our board so that we can grow and we can, like I said, be this true reflection of what Kentucky is and what makes us beautiful, essentially. So that's what we're doing.
1: Yeah, I I think it's, it's not surprising to me that those are the issues that that are driving young people to get involved because those are definitely the ones that have dominated social media and mm-hmm. the news cycle and things like that. And all the while, Republicans are doing a lot a lot of other things too, like passing anti-union bills and bad criminal oh, justice yeah. bills. And so, um, there's a lot that gets swept under the rug. Um, but I'm glad that some of these, big social issues are encouraging more young people to get involved. Um, So you you mentioned that you started some new Appalachian chapters and young Democrats operate on a county chapter system. So can you tell us a little bit about what it takes to start a chapter and what that might look like?
2: Yeah, so to start a chapter, there's a couple steps here in the process. Um, First, you have to have a set of bylaws which we have a template on our website, which is kyyoungdems.com. And on that website under, uh, I think it's under chapters or maybe resources, there's a bylaws template that we created that you literally just download and essentially just insert your county chapter, insert your officers, insert your policies for like removing, removing an officer, any additional amendments you want, whatever it may be. That's the biggest thing is having your bylaws. Secondly, you need to have at least 10 members uh, active under 40 to be able to join. And then third is you have to have an officer election to elect your president, your vice president, your treasurer and your secretary. Once you meet those three requirements, you then are recognized by KYD, and you are now officially a part of our organization is how you kind of get that going.
0: Yeah, well, you know, and and we we've seen the number of chapters go up and down and of course we're glad to hear that there's more now. Uh that's awesome to hear and and in hearing uh, about the expansion into, you know, parts of the state that, that have seen kind of a democratic decline and some of their older voters is also really exciting. Um, organizing the folks um, that 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 are there uh, is something that's going to be really important if Democrats ever hope to be in power in the future. Um, but yeah. yeah,
2: for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, of course, uh, there's probably people listening who may be in Louisville or Lexington and where there is a well-established chapter, um, or, or they may be listening from a county where there is an established chapter. And, you know, you just gave them the advice about what, they could do um but if people i mean maybe somebody's you know heard that whole thing about how to start a chapter and like oh my gosh i don't know how i'm going to get 10 members uh, i don't know how i'm going to be able to do that or, or maybe somebody's like well i don't even know who's in charge in louisville uh if they want to get in touch with you or they want to just talk through how they can interact or, or start this work um how can they get in touch with you what's the best way for them to engage in, in kyd if they aren't yet and and, and should be
2: so we have on our website, if you're looking to see if there's even a chapter in your county, on our website, which is, like I said earlier is kyyoungdems.com, we have a chapters tab. And in that tab is our current active chapters and a hyperlink to either their website, their Facebook page, Instagram, whatever it may be, and also their president's name. And so if you're looking to see if you have a chapter in your county, for example, if you're interested in Louisville. And you go on the website, you see Louisville Young Democrats at hyperlinks to our website, and you'll see Charlie Todd next to it, because Charlie is the president of LYD. Then when you go on the LYD website, you can then look through it, find their contact information, social media, whatever it may be, and you can reach out that way. Another thing you could do is email us at info at kyyoungdems.com. Um, that is monitored. We get messages there all the time from people inquiring about what it means to start a chapter, you know, asking just generic questions. That's another way you can go about doing that. Um, I run that account so I can see it and will be, I check it once every couple of days. And so it's pretty, I'm pretty actively on it and receive messages and respond as fast as I can. Um, that's another way you can reach out and learn more. But also, you, if you want to know more about starting your own chapter, you can talk to your county party chapter uh president leader whatever it may be our young dem uh i had kenny Fogle, who is the deputy political director of the kdp send a mass email out to all the county party chapters letting them know about our upcoming convention and to spread the word throughout their county parties to everybody to attend it to learn more about starting a chapter to learn more about kyd to hear from really important people such as governor Bashir. To talk about the importance of youth voting. And so there's a lot of avenues you can take here to learn more. But the best way is either go on our website and check first or email the info box.
0: Awesome. Well, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, the 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 organization continues to grow. We're really glad to hear that it's growing now. We're really happy that you're doing this work out there. Uh, You know, I'll I'll forgive you for for, uh, you know, trolling (laughs) me so hard on social media. I uh,
2: always say you're my favorite Kentucky. fan.
0: Yeah, go go uh, go! Cards women's basketball. I guess they play tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so uh, best <laughs> no, of luck. No, they
2: play um, Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern because Ugh. they're in Seattle. So I have to like take a nap Brutal. so I can stay up and watch it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess
0: it is. It's the Sweet 16, so it's, it's got a couple of days. off. Yeah. All right. Well, yes, I know yeah. you'll be watching that. So Allison Wiseman, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here.
2: Yeah, of course. Thank you. And go cards. And I guess cats sometimes as well.
0: Spoken <laughs> like a true KYD president. All right, Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us?
2: They can find us on
1: Twitter and Instagram at my old KY pod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our show on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a newsletter. You can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. And we have a Patreon page where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at Patreon.com/slash/myoldkentuckypodcast, and last but not least, we're part of the DimCast Network and the Ford Kentucky Network.
0: All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.